Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Late Night Linux Extra. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. So we all made it back. Looks like this is a regular thing now. Excellent. Let's start with a bit of feedback. We had an email from Michael. He said, why is there so much love for the Apple M1 and so little love for AMD Ryzen mobile CPUs? And then he pasted a bunch of passmark numbers showing that the AMD Ryzen mobile ones are better than the M1. And then he went on to say, I've heard a lot of podcasts characterize the M1 as unparalleled while only seeing Intel as the competition. 15 hour battery life, no fan. Then we talk again. Yeah, I think for me, it's the M1 is very ubiquitous. You can literally buy them everywhere now. It's just the performance per watt, I think, is pretty much not met by anything else, as far as I can tell. Like Chris said, 15 hour battery life, no fan. The fact that I can, I mean, I've just been away for a week, come back, and my laptop was still on 94% after being in sleep mode for the entire time I was gone. I've yet to see that on any laptop, Intel, AMD, or even like my Pinebook. It just hasn't happened. And also, you kind of indicated in his own copy there, this is like the fifth gen of those chips. The M1 is only just getting going, and the M1X is about to come with the MacBook Pro, where I think they're going to sacrifice some of that. I think they're, they're doing more big cores and less little cores. So there's going to be less battery life and a higher TDP, but it's going to be better performance. And then we've got the M2, which I think is not going to be far off either. So that again, it's a young chip versus a reasonably mature chip. And I really like the Ryzen CPUs. I'm not down on them. I don't think they're bad at all. It's just, they just don't quite tick those boxes, especially if you're talking about laptops. Yeah, what they said. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a friend who had the same argument with me. He's a programmer and he was showing me like mini PCs and stuff. And I was like, yeah, but you can't match it on all fronts. And the performance is, yeah, you might beat it with certain chips, but miss, yeah. I also don't think that you can buy something that's as powerful as the Mac Mini for 600 quid. No. The closest, the Asus do some quite nice H series Ryzen's, but no, it's not as powerful. You get the advantage of replaceable RAM and uh, NVMe SSD though, which is quite nice. Yeah, but if you've got 600 quid to spend, you're probably going to get the Mac Mini M1, aren't you? Yeah, and now the M1X is going into the revised Mac Mini, if the leaks are true, they're just leaks at the moment, but they're going to expand the number of ports and put the M1X in a Mac Mini and a MacBook Pro at the next launch event is what the leak was this week, but you can't be sure until Apple actually says. So Dalton, you have got your hands on the Framework laptop. Yes, it's here. I got the top of the line i7 that doesn't have vPro, 32 gigs of RAM, a terabyte of this, what, seven gigabyte per second read solid state drive. It's amazing. Firefox loads instantly. I've never experienced it before. Okay. And did you buy this with your own money then? I did. This is a about as configured 1700 US dollar computer. That's not too bad for an i7 and 32 gigs of RAM, right? It's not, no. And it's the DIY edition, so I had to put the stuff in myself, but it was no problem except for the Wi-Fi chip, which I, I've i always hated installing those anyway. Yeah, the antenna cables are horrible. Yeah, <laughs> they are. I was watching Rossman uh, unbox his on a live stream, and the Wi-Fi bit was... Because there's a shield, right? There's like a, a protective shield you screw over to stop them from popping out yep. in transit. It was so weird. He tried to route the cables in various different ways, and then eventually he got the, the kind of clamping shield 
over the top, but like that's my least favorite thing to do. I think he said in that video, one of the first times he broke a customer's computer was what I did to a client's computer once, which is whilst doing that procedure, the laptop slipped and snapping those cables and messing up the very, very small terminals. So I had to reroute both antenna cables around the entire screen and replace the Wi-Fi card. So that was a lesson learned. Yeah, You, You live and learn. Either those or the ribbon cables that go to the keyboard that get me. I never know if the clip pulls out or flips up. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, all of that was done pretty well. You do have to be careful with the cable that goes between the touchpad and keyboard and the motherboard, because the way this thing works is, I'm sure everyone's watched a video of this thing by now, but if you haven't, you unscrew five screws from the bottom, and then instead of pulling the bottom cover off, you flip it over, open the screen, and pull out the keyboard deck. Uh, which is on magnets. So like an old ThinkPad. Sort of. I mean, it was way... Just taking out the keyboard of an old ThinkPad was easier. Right. But then you'd have to get the entire rest of the top deck out to replace some of the stuff. Whereas here, the entire top deck comes off, which is also a design that I think Microsoft did on the Surface Laptop 3. So there's prior art for it, certainly. And it works pretty well. I got my 32 gigs of RAM in, the solid-state drive, everything. No problem, really. And what modules did you buy to go with it? I have two USB Type-A, a USB-C, and a micro SD port. I have the second USB-A out of the device right now. But that is pretty cool, is to have you know a real full-size HDMI port is very useful to me. I've been going with a XPS 13 9370 for the past few years, so that was three USB Type-C ports and a micro SD card slot, and that's all you get. So... Having like a full size USB A port is, I, I, <laughs> we're three more years into it than we were when I got the XPS, and USB Type C still isn't a big thing. It's funny you describe it as going with the XPS, like it's a relationship. Huh. Weird. I mean, <laughs> I spend a lot of time on the computer, so it is a lot of time invested in it, I suppose. But that was going to be my main question. You are an XPS 13 user. How does it compare? So I just got the thing, right? It's been a couple of days that I've had it. So we can talk about it again in a few weeks or something, maybe. But for now, the keyboard's way better. The touchpad's all right. The screen is reflective and I hate it, but looks pretty good otherwise. This older XPS didn't have an especially bright screen. So getting over daylight was a difficult for that too. And it's just as difficult for the framework. So like, it's not a downgrade by any stretch of the imagination. And the taller aspect ratio of the screen is heavenly. I can tell you that. How does the build quality compare? Because I had an XPS 13 a few years back. It was one of the, it was a third gen i7 in it. So it was quite a long time ago, but the build quality of that machine was really, really impressive. Like, have you found it comparable or is it like kind of a lot of the Clevo machines that are just a bit underwhelming. So I did get my XPS from the Dell outlet in the US for reference. So it was a returned unit, but I got, you know, a two-year warranty on it. And it's had to have its entire screen replaced, the entire like assembly got replaced, and the um, heatsink fan assembly had to be replaced in it. So I don't know. I wasn't too jazzed about like how well the XPS was built. And I don't know if the technician snapped a screw or something, but it just doesn't fit together quite right, it seems. You know, if you hold it in one hand or if you're holding it 
and walking around with it, you can feel it flex in ways that it shouldn't. And I haven't had that problem with the framework yet. It feels well built. It has a one finger hinge, barely. It's no Apple hinge, but it is one finger, which the XPS was always a two hand job, which is a, especially a problem given the screen goes up to the top bezel. So you always got thumbprints on it and that was annoying. Oh yeah, the framework has uh, privacy switches for the camera and microphone which you didn't need to pay extra for, and they aren't advertising as like some big thing. It's just they have it, which is refreshing. And where are those located? On the outside, or do you have to... They're directly next to them on the top bezel. So the camera one is right next to the camera on the top bezel, and the microphone is to the left of it. And there's an orange insert for when they're off, so you can tell when they're off or on. And what about software-wise then? Are you running um, Ubuntu, what would it be, 21.04 on it? I considered it. I put Fedora on it for now. Fedora Plasma Spin. So we'll see how that kind of works out. I've been fighting with it a bit because I don't know how to use Plasma very well. I've been a GNOME user for like seven years now. So (laughs) that's been strange. And the Wayland stuff still doesn't work well. Firefox doesn't like to copy paste, but it does that in GNOME too. So whatever. I'm enjoying it so far, though. Excellent. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service, available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. A friend of mine recently asked for advice about installing Signal on Fedora. And he said that there's no official way to do it, so his only options were the Snap or the Flatpak. And so he asked me, well, who are Snapcrafters? And I didn't have a definitive answer for him. And Signal is, you know, obviously quite a sensitive bit of software. And it got me thinking, what do you all do when the software that you want is not in the repo? So for Signal in particular, I had the same concern and I've been pulling down the package from Signal's website and installing it on any platform that I'm on. But generally, if it's not in the repo, I'll use a snap or a flat pack. But if it needs to go as far as doing a Git clone and then a configure, then a make, then a make install, I'm probably just not going to bother, to be honest. My order tends to go Flatpak first, Snap second, uh, an external repository or PPA if it's available. And then there's been times where I will clone Git and compile, just like Gary said. And that tends to be my order. But I can't think of anything that I would install that way that's like Signal, where I would be more concerned with that. So I use the Flatpak of Telegram, but because of the nature of the back end of it, I'm not concerned really with that i consider telegram to be it's not protecting me i'm careful about what i say sometimes maybe on there yeah it's like chatting in the pub or sending a postcard yeah exactly i wouldn't be sharing my deepest darkest secrets or anything on there um so yeah that tends to be how i go about it and then 
I'll spin up a VM of Windows if it's available. <laughs> Depends if that works. But Yeah, I think the only time I've really compiled stuff from source in the recent past was I needed a specific version of Nginx for something at work and compiled that from source. But most of the time, unless it's particularly sensitive, I'll use some package. Yeah, I basically just pop into Ubuntu software while I was using that and just install whatever it suggests. And now I'm popping into Discover and attempting to install whatever it suggests it fails, and then I do it with the <laughs> command line instead. I was going to say, you're using a GUI software manager and not the command line. Yeah. What is this? I, I don't know. Just search for the thing you want. Hit the, hit the button. I don't know. It's not that hard. You're supposed to be a developer, man. Developers like nice things, too. That's interesting that the only developer of us uses the GUI to install things. Are you just sick of dealing with the command line? <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, maybe. But it's also like... It might be in the repo, there might be a snap of it, and you won't know without having to search both of them. And I just want to search once and see what it gives me. I think maybe for me it's just that I'm jaded from having to use Synaptic years ago. Oh, maybe. I mean, I use Synaptic too, but... I love it, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It was much easier to do like an apt search string than use Synaptic. Mm Mm-hmm. I disagree. If you don't know exactly what you're searching for, then I find Synaptic to be very useful. I still use it occasionally. Yeah, that's true. I guess I've got a set of applications that I use, and that's it. It rarely changes. There are still things that I don't know how to do with the apt command line, like what packages got automatically installed for this package that Synaptic can still do that I'll use it for. So yeah, you're you're fine. You're fine with Synaptic, Joe. We, we appreciate you. <laughs> I just never used it. <laughs> I, I've never used it for anything. Uh, it's it's funny, like the whole time. Um, I, I when I very first started, I was on Mint, so I used whatever they have. I can't even remember; it's a long time ago now. And yeah, now I do it all in the command line. Yeah, I don't use on any distribution that I've tried. I have, you know, I've got a Kubuntu install which I'm kind of testing Plasma with. I haven't used Discover at all. Uh, everything's been done in the command line. Do you make the text in the terminal green like I do? <laughs> no, I don't, but that's the thing. And it's not, it's genuinely not like a, uh, I'm so leet, look at me typing things in. It's just where I've landed in, in how I install packages. Yeah. Control Alt T, sudo apt install what the thing is. Yeah. That's it. And tab auto completion as well. And it's just comfortable for me. That's it. I don't know. Signal desktop, I'd probably use the snap. Right. Well, we'd better get out of here then. Show at latenightlinux.com if you want to send in your feedback. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton, y'all. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> <laughs>